Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 14, The Red Letter Project. My name is Jeremy and I will be your host. Today I'm joined by Maddie, the founder of The Red Letter Project. Maddie previously served in the United States Coast Guard, is a former MMA fighter, and a huge advocate for women in the Second Amendment community. Now, without further delay, let's dive in. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward yeah. Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder All right, Maddie. welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you uh, making it on tonight after your long weekend with Red Letter. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so for those that may not know from my listeners who you are, do you want to you know, talk about yourself a little bit, You know who you are, what you do, and give everybody the stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I guess I should probably just mention before we talked about this, but kind of losing my voice. Uh, I've been teaching all weekend, so if I, <laughs> if I sound like... You know, um, I'm going in and out. That's probably why I'm not actually sick or anything. But uh, a little bit about myself is um, I am a full-time firearms instructor. I teach mainly out of my hometown in Georgia. We have a big indoor range down here called Sharpshooters, and they they do an awesome job. Um, I also travel around quite a bit teaching classes in different states and kind of collaborating with other instructors and things like that. But the core of my business is basically like – it's called the Red Letter Project. Um, it's a faith-based uh, business that we basically run large-scale women's retreats where we'll bring out like 30 or 40 women, um, teach them defensive shooting, medical training, and each event is themed out. So, for example, like the past few events have been like a vehicle-themed event or a night vision theme event or low light or urban safety and survival and like things like that. So it's really fun. Awesome. So where do you get most of your background from? you know, your, your source of teaching in a sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, a couple different things, uh, my shooting background for the most part, like I haven't been shooting my entire life, but I used to work for the Coast Guard. Um, that's where I got most of my foundational like skills. And then I kind of branched off on the private side as soon as I got out of the Coast Guard. Um, my actual teaching background though comes from, I actually used to, when I was a little bit younger, um, help teach scuba diving. Um, I did that for a long time and that skill of just being able to communicate and like transfer information to other people, um, came from diving and I just kind of mashed it to a different thing I was doing at the time, which just happens to be shooting. That might be the most interesting background I've ever heard. I don't think I've had anybody on here that says, yeah, I teach because of scuba diving. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's unique. Yeah. It's funny. Um, that's what I did for a long time. Um, I used to, do a lot of scuba diving. I still do. I just don't teach scuba diving or anything right now. Um, do, did a lot of scuba diving, like skydiving, uh, bull riding, MMA, things like that. And I kind of grew up around that environment. Um, so shooting was always kind of like a background piece until it became really relevant in my life a few years ago. And it just became a huge passion of mine. Awesome. So yeah. what what kind of – you dove into Red Letter a little bit. And I kind of want to start the podcast um, – giving everybody an idea of what that is and, and kind of promoting it a little bit, you know, what, yeah. what made you kind of come to the idea or the realization that the red letter project and everything that comes along with it was what you wanted to do. And, you know, how did you end up there? Well, um, a couple things, uh, for, I guess there's a couple different aspects to this. Like the reason I wanted it to, first of all, be like, uh, at least at the moment, like women's only is because, um, in my mind, like women should be the most trained demographic on the planet and they're not like, 
Um, a lot of women don't get the proper training they need because it's not offered to them or it's offered in a way that's like very exclusive. Um, so we wanted to make a very welcoming environment, but like even besides that point, like the core of Red Letter, um, it was a faith-based, uh, organization for a reason. Um, there, like when I first started teaching full-time a couple years back, like I always try to figure out a way to incorporate like spreading the gospel through what I was doing. And it's like, it's been on my heart for a long time. I just didn't really have that outlet. Like, you know, it's like I would try to mention it in class when I could, like in a, you know, very like open, but not like in your face kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just being honest with people. And uh, when Red Letter, when the actual like opportunity to start like a women's retreat came about, like the first thing that came to mind is like, how do we put Jesus in the center of this and like, use this opportunity to do what we're supposed to be doing, which is like talking about the gospel and like bringing Christians together and welcoming non-Christians and like kind of introducing them to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually, I actually run the project with my mom, who's also an instructor. Uh, So it's actually funny, like uh, me and her do it together. I coordinate, I organize everything. And then she's actually in charge of the Bible study portion itself. So um, she actually does all that, like that, that's her thing at Red Letter basically. That's awesome. It's interesting that you bring up faith because I feel like um, some of the people in the industry, this industry specifically, that a lot of us look up to or that hold a much deeper meaning other than just training and kind of more of a morality um, type base, like John Lavelle from Warrior Poet Society. You know, people like that always kind of revert back to faith as, you know, a big purpose of what they do. So that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, like the reason I even really became extremely passionate about self-defense and like things like that is because I believe it's like um, common knowledge, like common knowledge in the Bible. Like it gives us very clear examples of like where, uh, you know, God values the preservation of human life. He values justice and things like that. It's like, how do we obtain those two things without self-defense? It's like impossible. Right. And like a lot of times people want to talk about like the shooting side, the self-defense side, all these things. But it's like, what happens if you can't, you, you, you're in one of those situations where you aren't able to um, become successful in a defensive situation. Like what happens on the other side, right? Like we have to account for that spiritual side. And that's a big part that I think is left out. And um, you know, the industry for a long time, I think kind of like rejected religion because it's like, it's almost like talked about like politics. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if you don't have a purpose in in your business, like this is my purpose in my business. It's like, if I don't stand for something, it's like, why am I doing it? And I feel like sometimes within this community, especially amongst the concealed carry community, whether you're religious or not, there's kind of a, you know, shepherd to flock mindset that kind of ties in into faith in a sense, even if people aren't religious, you know, we find ourselves to be, you know, protectors and guiders of others who may not, you know, take that seriously or or see that amongst themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, that is one really cool thing about the community is like the people that are involved in it, they at least they see the importance and the value of being a protector. Um, I think that's really cool because especially nowadays in society, it's it's becoming more rare. So with you guys have had, how long has Red Letter Project been around? Um, so my, my business itself, um, it wasn't originally called Red Letter, but I've been, I guess I've had it, oh gosh, I, I'm not good with dates or years or anything, but I think it's been around for like two and a half, three years-ish now maybe, but the actual Red Letter Project retreats have been around um, since May. We've done three officially so far. We did three this year. Nice. So how how do you feel like 
that has affected the female side of the community and, and you know do you think you see good positive change coming from all that yeah i, I like i i hope i hope that it has impacted what i think it has um like for instance uh the past couple red letters it's really nice because a lot of times like as an instructor you kind of base how successful the project is going based off of retention right so like the last two red letters like after the initial one um typically what we'll see is about 50 percent of the students attending the second and third red letter were repeat customers or repeat students from the last one like the previous one so people are coming back um they're starting to hang out like i see them on instagram all the time like hanging out in their states that they uh, like you know they go home to their home state and they hang out they train with these other girls um, they communicate online. We stay in touch with each other. Um, people reach out when they need somebody and like, it's hopefully making them feel like they are just as capable as the rest of the guys in the industry. Because honestly, at this point, like, uh, some of the chicks that have attended two or three red letters, they are just as trained as half the people I see on, on Instagram anyway. And I hope that like, you know, they, they start to recognize that they are just as like, I don't know, at that same level. And it's really cool to watch. Yeah, two two notes kind of on that, and one being as negative and you know kind of toxic as Instagram and that whole social media community can be. I can definitely say that I have made some really good friends or kept up with really good friends through social media and kind of just co-posting and sharing stories and whatnot and just tagging each other. It, it is there there is a community sense to that. Is is you know cheesy as that is to say. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like. Like, it's like it's as toxic as social media can be. Like, I'll be honest with you. I think like 70 percent or if that's like a guesstimated number, like most of my friends in the industry or a lot of the students I have, they came straight from Instagram. And that's how I keep in touch with people. And it's like as long as you're the one that's in control of that community you're creating on Instagram, like or on social media or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, like it is very possible to, you know, uh, spread positivity through that that outlet. So with, you know, being, you know, in the side of the community with females who, you know, traditionally either don't attend training as much or have not been a part of that community, how, what are some of the big changes you feel like you've seen from the female side of the community from, you know, two or three years ago when you really started digging into this to now? Um, Honestly, like just the level of independence, right? So like, a lot of times, like, I've been teaching co-ed classes since I started. Like, it usually, it was funny. Like, it always start. like, I've always taught guys. But, like, over the past, like, maybe year or so, it's it's funny. Sometimes I'll walk into an intro-level class and expect it to be co-ed. And sometimes it'll be all chicks just because I'm a female instructor and they see that. And so, naturally, I get more females in my class. Um, the cool thing about it is, like, uh, I saw this kind of shift over, over the year or over, like, the time I was teaching students from – Like, hey, I'm dependent on my husband to go out and, like, buy me a gun and teach me how to shoot. And then versus I'm, like, taking initiative to bring myself here. And I want to figure out what gear, like, I want. I don't want somebody else picking out my gear for me. And I want to, like, attend these things because I want to do it as opposed to somebody else is forcing me to go do this because they want me to do it. It's it's instead of personal thing now. And I think that's really important. And that and kind of the independence aspect that you talk about there, you know, that's something I tell the women in my life and then I tell guys in my life who are looking to guide or mentor other women is that the point of introducing them to this stuff and guiding them and you know training them isn't to make them dependent on you necessarily it's to make them independent you know they should not rely on you they should be self-confident um 
and, and have those abilities you apart. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. I like it's it's good for like husbands and brothers and uh, dads and everybody to create that initial spark of like, hey, like this is an opportunity. You should go do this. Like it's okay for that push. Like that's what they sometimes that's sometimes what people need. But that initial push, like hopefully it sparks them to want to take interest themselves because like if you force somebody to do or somebody forces another person to do something, they're not gonna be in it for themselves. They're not gonna actually like learn or retain what they. They should because, you know, that purpose isn't behind them. A lot of times, too, like, they just have to be able to relate to people. So, um, for instance, like, sometimes I'll talk one-on-one to a student and be like, hey, this is why this is important and this is how it could actually apply to you in real life. Because a lot of times, like, you know, uh, we live in a bubble in America. We're very protected here. Um, as much as sometimes we don't think we are, we are very protected here. Um, and it's one of those men, uh, a lot of times people will kind of walk around with that mentality of like, oh, it'll never happen to me. or like that would never happen in my area. Like I live in a good, a good clean area or whatever. Um, so making it relevant for people like, hey, like this is something that you should value as well. And this is why. It's interesting. You, you kind of bring that up. Uh, I was going to wait to bring this up till later. I was at a uh, family Christmas party last night. And I was carrying, as I always do. Mm-hmm. And me and one of my cousin-in-laws, my cousin's husband, were, were talking or whatever. And, you know, we were talking about guns and whatnot. And my aunt asked why I was carrying at a family Christmas party. I was like, well, what if something happens? She's like, what's going to happen at a, a family event? Mm-hmm. And, like, they're, they're, we had a very brief conversation. And it's kind of what you kind of went on there about that people don't see things for how they are. And they just think they live in this bubble where they are the exception. Right, right. Um, and then second to that, you know, kind of the purpose um, or motivation behind a lot of this, you kind of started to dive into this. Uh, and Mrs. Poet from uh, John Lavelle's wife talks about this a lot is I find a, a very big motivator to, you know, learn these types of skills and get involved with this kind of stuff is motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, I'm sure you, you knowing you as briefly as I do, you could probably agree that motherhood is a very special thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I've talked with females in the past who may not necessarily care about this kind of stuff a ton when they're thinking of just themselves. But when you start talking to them about, you know, scenarios or purpose when you're talking about, okay, children, our children, you know, so on and so forth, the mindset changes. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually kind of funny you bring that up, though, because, like, I literally had this conversation with um, one of the girls at Red Letter last night. Um, and, you know, I, I'm single. I'm 24 years old. I don't have kids. Uh, I work with my mom, though, and so I understand, like, you know, her level of protection for me or, you know, I work around with a lot of women that have have kids. Um, and we I had this conversation with I forget who I was talking to, but um, basically the premise of it was like a lot of times as women, um, that instinct to be like super aggressive and self-protection is not there like that switch isn't flipped. However, if you ask the same person like would you, would you defend your kids, right? That mother bear, that mama bear comes out and they're like, oh heck yeah, like I would do anything for my kids. And it's like, Mm -hmm. why doesn't that switch flip in your head for self-protection as well? Because what happens if you can't protect yourself? Like you're not going to be there to protect your kids. Um, So it's like self-protection is just as important as being able to protect the little ones because they rely on you. yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I've noticed that a lot in the past too. You know, they don't see you know self protection as as important or you know as high as the to- on the totem pole as far as priorities go as you know protecting little ones. Why do you think that is? I don't know, but I, if I had to guess um, again, because I don't have kids, I, I would have to say it's probably something in, along the lines of like 
women are very caring creatures and a lot of times like you see them put themselves aside for other people um like Mm -hmm. you see them put themselves aside um and jeopardize almost sometimes their safety or their livelihood or like their well-being to care take care of others um like how many times do we see um new mothers uh kind of spiral out of control because they're they're taking so much care of their kids they forget to take care of themselves um i think that's like just something that's kind of bred in us um and it's really cool to be able to watch like i think uh, again one of the perks of like instagram and stuff is like there are some really powerful mothers out there that are taking care of their kids but they're also taking care of themselves and that affects the family too um like I, like I kind of look back, like I was I was actually homeschooled for pretty much I'd say pretty much the duration of like all the way up until college. Like I had a few years of public school thrown in there, but for the most part, homeschooled. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom for the longest time, like when she was my age, she was a pre Olympic gymnast. She carried and maintained that level of well being and like that level of fitness and health all the way through, um, like when she was taking care of me and that affected how I viewed myself because I was like, when I looked in the mirror, I wanted to be just like her. So it's like by her taking care of herself and her being like a very like bold, independent woman that made me want to do the same thing. And I think that like, I credit that like to what I do now, like I, I would not carry myself in the same level of confidence or reassurance that, that I would if she wasn't the way that she was when I was younger, if that makes sense. For Um, sure. So having that role model is like super important. Um, and I think it's like just having that reminder, like also being around other, maybe other mothers that have that same mindset because, you know, you think about, um, I know when my mom was growing up or when I was growing up with my mom, she didn't have the same level of time that she did when she didn't have me because obviously kids take time. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, also being surrounded by other women that think the same way that kind of holds you accountable is really important. And I think, um, you know, kind of what you talked about there with your mother um, being a gymnast and whatnot, you know, always holding herself to a higher standard. I think that's something that can really go for both male and females is, Mm -hmm. you know, taking care of yourself a little bit more and and putting yourself in a position to be self-confident. And I talk about a lot on my page, you know, I mean, fitness is one thing to be in shape, but there is a mental state and a mentality that comes with taking care of yourself and that goes beyond the gym yeah eating well not perfect but eating well drinking water you know doing things that help you both physically and spiritually right yeah 100 percent. like it can go it can go both ways and you think about like uh like father-son relationship right um like your son probably wants to view you view the dad as a good role model and be just like him when he grows up like that's really important so it's like maintaining some sort of structure and like even if even if that parental figure isn't there like having some sort of role model or mentor or somebody and or friends just even that holds you accountable is really important um not to kind of like deviate from this but i feel like this is kind of similar like the people that i surround myself with um, like the closer they are to me, the better their morals need to be. Like I, I hold my friends to that standard because I want them to hold me to that standard. And like, um, I'm fortunate enough to have a really good friend group where, uh, like they'll call me out on things. They'll be like, Hey, like, why haven't you been to the gym in a week? And I'm like, I'm just stressed out with work and all these things. And they're like, well, have you taken care of yourself at all this week? That's probably why you feel like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do the same thing with them. I'm like, Hey dude, like, uh, we haven't hung out and like, two or three weeks like what's going on we need to sit down and like just have a check-in and like you know go get dinner or something or watch a movie and just like you know be around other like-minded human beings like that is so important and that's honestly something that I I strayed away from for a long time and I felt it 
um, like as I got a little bit older, like I realized how important having those like accountable, like really good friends are. And, and I find being surrounded by people again, ma- male, female, doesn't really matter mm-hmm. that you do surround yourself with people that are going to hold you accountable and that are going to be good role models. I tell my guys all the time, the guys I hang out with locally, train with them, all that kind of stuff. I say, you know, your responsibility is to your family and your friends and, and they look up to you and it's not fair to them for you to half-ass something. Yes. Or, yeah. Or for you to not put in the work. And then in turn, you all are my responsibility and it's not fair to you guys for me to half-ass something. And then it, it, it's a circle that, you know, goes around motivating each other and holding your, each other accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, um, like you're right, male or female. Like I have like obviously the industry I work in, a lot more dudes than there are chicks. So I have a lot of guy friends. Um, I, uh, part of my friend group here in Georgia is like I have a few buddies, like a couple instructor friends, a couple friends that are just kind of like, um, like uh, gun self defense style people. Like that's kind of what they value. Um, they we hold each other accountable too for like forcing each other to go out and train sometimes. Cause like, you know, if you do it for a living, it get, you come home from work, you don't want to do more training. Like you want to just sit, sit down and like, mm-hmm. like just not do anything basically. Um, and our friend group, we kind of were just like, Hey, let's plan a weekend where we go into the woods and like camp and like make our own food and maybe throw a couple training things in there. Uh, not a stressful weekend, but like, let's just make sure that all of our kit and stuff works. Uh, do those kind of use of force, like run throughs where we're talking about things and like talking about scenarios and it's like good conversation. Um, and there's a lot of value in that. And there's a lot of value. I know like when we talked, uh, like last week, you were saying that you were going in the woods for one week and I had just gotten back from being in the woods. Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny. Cause like, uh, there's so much value in just going outside and like figuring things out and like learning new skills and stuff like that. And I've actually been thinking about, um, doing like a red letter edition, like an, not an overlanding one, but like a more of like a, I don't know. We kind of are for the next February one, I guess we just didn't title it camping because we're not camping they're gonna be staying in like these super nice cabins but like mm-hmm. basically what it is is we're gonna be doing um a little bit of like water reclamation a little bit of like how do you build a fire how do you change a tire like how do you keep yourself alive in a in the wilderness if you don't have cell service like and something goes wrong when you're hiking like those kind of topics are gonna be like kind of the main focus of the next red letter in addition we're also doing some like use of force scenario type work where like we'll actually have role players and like um, airsoft guns, like things like that, where they can actually trial and error the skills that they've been learning at the previous red letters or the skills that they learn like at the beginning of the day at, in February. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the direction I wanted to push this next one. Um, and then maybe one day we'll have an actual camping red letter. I don't know. I don't know if people <laughs> for that, but I would be a huge fan. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I think there is definitely a balance to, you know, training and then just relaxing and enjoying the things that come with training like you said like going in the woods and just taking it light yeah um and to new people sometimes like i know one thing i kind of struggle with with my fiance is um getting her to understand that though we may be doing something that has a purpose it doesn't necessarily mean it's training and i I know other people have struggled with that in the past you know going on a hike can be relaxing but it could also be a workout at the same time it's productive. It's just it's being productive. productive. Yeah, definitely. And like, let's say you think about even too, like the daily things that you consume, right? So like, if you want to sit down and watch TV, that's totally fine, but it has to be a balance. It can't be a six hour binge on a TV, on TV. It needs to be like, you know, 30, 40 minutes here and there, a couple shows or whatever, or like you're consuming something that's healthy and like 
um, you enjoy, but it's also you're learning at the same time or, you know, it's, it's a productive way of like relaxing because, uh, the hard, one of the hard lessons that I've been learning the past, like couple years, especially with the uh, relatively still, I guess you could still consider it a new business, um, is the fact that I want, my brain wants to be actively doing something like 24 seven. And I've been like this since I was like 15 years old. And it's like, eventually like you'll burn yourself out if you do that for long enough periods of time. Like you have to be able to take those breaks, but those breaks don't have to make necessarily be lazy breaks. They can be Mm -hmm. productive. You just, you know, do it in a way that uh, makes sense. Oh, I, I, I get it a hundred percent. I work myself like a, like a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it's and like, sometimes I, you're like, man, I'm definitely good. Like, yeah. I, I physically cannot sit down for long periods of times and not do something. Yeah. Yeah. You, I've got maybe 30 minutes to an hour of me and sitting down and not doing something. And that's if I worked all day. Yeah. Yeah. I could not agree more. Like I will ac- absolutely go insane. Like, the only thing I can really sit down and just like, like kind of turn my brain off with is like a couple of my favorite movies, maybe. And I hardly ever even do that. It's more just reading books. Like reading books is for me a really good passive way to relax because it's like, I feel like I'm doing something by, because I'm learning, but at the same time, like it gives my body a chance to like chill out. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Marine, so I can't read. I can't, <laughs> you can't read so good. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to dive into a little bit more. Um, female specific related topics and then you know even hopefully it helps you know guys with women in their yeah, lives sure. yeah. so what are what are some i guess we'll, we can kind of start from the beginning what are good positive routes that you know aren't too pushy or don't you know make it seem too complicated what are things that women or men can get their women to do to kind of start moving them in the direction of having that self-protection mindset and getting them towards wanting to work on, you know, different skills, whether that just be fitness, firearms and dry firing, uh, martial arts. We could talk about martial arts if you want to. Uh, yeah. I can talk about that for hours. Um, so, you know, what, what, are, what are some good, positive, non-overwhelming ways guys can get, get, get into that kind of stuff? I would say, um, like, as like kind of, I don't want this to come off as like mean or anything, but like, I think a lot of times when... And so I teach, I teach a lot of people like per week, right? Um, like I, I teach full time. I usually have contact with maybe 20, 30 students a week, um, here in my local area. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times like someone has come in and been like, my husband forced me to come here, so I don't want to be here, but we're going to get through this cause he made me come. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's kind of rough. Cause it's like, um, at that point, luckily I'm able to relate to them and be like, hey, listen, okay, like, I know you're here because you don't really want to be here, but, like, let's make this fun and kind of change things around. And usually those are the people that actually end up coming back. What I would say is just being, like, uh, aware that the more, um, I guess, like, the more you give them the creative freedom to choose them, choose for themselves is, is the the best way to do it. Maybe, like, introducing them, the best way in my mind is to introduce them to somebody that already has that mindset that also is a girl like mm-hmm. finding like a martial artist that like a, a female martial artist that like teaches at a local gym or something or like female instructor in your area and just like at least introducing them to them because a lot of times like that instructor or like that female or even if she's not an instructor like another just like general shooter or whatever like they can do the work for you and kind of talk to them out on a different level because like Uh, There's a difference between like convincing somebody to do something and just like from that standpoint and just like uh, welcoming somebody into the community, if that makes sense. 
So, like, if the best thing I think a guy can do for a girlfriend or fiancé or something like that is by making those connections and just allowing them to happen naturally and organically, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I've and I've heard it from my fiancé in the past, you know, if we talk about, like, with other people that, you know, we've been doing something training, we're talking to our other firearm couple friends or whatever, you know, she's like, you know, it feels like he's just teaching me, which I am teaching her, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, I don't want her to have, like, a, uh, time for training with Jeremy type thing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you def- there's definitely a, a a balance beam to find with that. And, and it kind of goes back to your first example. Guys, don't make your significant other go on these long day, big training event type stuff. Like that should be something they want to do. Right. And like I think I think a lot of times too, Um, again, the beauty of social media is I also have a lot of times where like a, like a guy – will find my page and they'll message me and they'll be like, Hey, your page is awesome. I want my girlfriend to attend your retreat. And I'm like, heck yeah, that's awesome. Put me in touch with her. Um, and then they make that, that introduction over like DMS or something or Mm -hmm. their fiance or their wife or whoever will follow me on Instagram, kind of watch the page and see that like there's more to it than just like super tactical, like male dominated stuff. And like oftentimes they'll end up reaching out to me. And then, like I said, I can take care of the work from there on. Um, the retreats, the nice thing about them is since it's all women, um, they don't mind, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a long training day. Like we'll do the first Saturday, like Saturday this past weekend was I think 12 hours of training. And then the second day was a little bit shorter, but it was still like a lot of training. Um, but it didn't feel like that because we're, it's done in a way that's like, uh, I guess like conducive to what they're looking for, I guess like it's re- we may- we try to make it relevant for them. So it's like having them make that connection is really, really important. I guess it's just what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And, and connections are huge male or female. Yeah. You know, be- being able to relate to individuals and establish, you know, a connection, a friendship is always going to, you know, get them to want to be involved. It's all about, them motivating themselves it's the old saying you can't you can take a horse to water but you can't make them drink right right definitely um and i can confirm you can't make your horse drink <laughs> yeah i'm looking at your skype profile picture because it's right on my screen and, you oh, yeah. <laughs> and i'm like yeah that's a good reference but yeah like uh you definitely can't push somebody to do something they don't want to do but you can definitely inspire them to at least think about it mm-hmm. um so with that kind of moving along, you know, a female finds themselves kind of starting to get into this. They, you know, they're interested, so on and so forth. What are some daily changes, adjustments, thought process, thought processes do you think they should adapt into their life? Because there, there are some principles of things that should be applied male or female, but sometimes, you know, you know, there are things that should be you know, female specific or male specific, whatever that is. So, so what are some things females should definitely look for in their daily lives to kind of integrate this kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. I would say like just on a very simple, basic level, and this goes for everybody. This even goes for like people like you and me who do this like for a living and kind of like think about this a lot. Like, um, I think the first building block is just starting by becoming more like connected with what you're doing on a daily basis meaning like I don't know how many times in my life I've probably woken up um gone to the gym and then headed to the grocery store on the way home picked up grocery store groceries or whatever and then came home and did that kind of like on autopilot right Mm -hmm. so like becoming more connected and like consciously thinking about what you're doing throughout your day like that's the first step because it's like you know 
how many times do you have contact with a stranger throughout the day or potential contact with a stranger? How many times do you get in and out of your vehicle per day? How many times do you, um, let's see, walk in and out of a store without looking or like, or like look around at your surroundings? Like how many times do you visualize something actually happening throughout your day? Um, and I think that level of like, just kind of like starting to become more connected with your daily process is really important because there that's the first place I usually like a lot of times when I have clients, I'll, they'll come in and start to, we'll just kind of talk about like their day and like kind of what their typical lifestyle looks like and where we can start to make those positive changes for like more, oh, being more aware and being more ready for self-defense. So that's a good place to start. If you don't even want to like touch a weapon, you don't want to touch like martial arts, you want to touch any of that stuff yet, at least start thinking about like, the places that you're potentially vulnerable throughout the day and like how you could maybe start like reinventing those, uh, those processes, I guess that that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think you hit on a good point there, that there is so much more to all of this than just the weapons or the fighting or the yeah. fitness. I mean, the mindset portion of this makes or breaks absolutely everything else you tie in with it. Yeah. And I would also say too, like, um, this might kind of go back to your net, your first question that you just, you asked before this one. Um, a good way to also get people kind of involved in self-defense, as weird as it sounds, is like start them off with medical training. The reason I say that is because like you can Love very it. easily convince somebody that like you can very easily convince somebody why medical training would be important. Like the easiest thing to do is say what happens if your kid chokes on something? What happens if your daughter gets in a car crash? What happens if you get in a car crash? What happens if somebody, um, I don't know, uh, is running around the woods and falls on something like it's very easy to talk about medical training and get somebody in a medical class. And that's a very good segue into defense itself because you know more than anybody that defense is more than just shooting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not to, to plug myself, but you bring up a good point on, on medical. And then that's something we stress in our medical response one class is that, you know, throughout the class, a lot of our students are young, male, tactical minded in a sense. Mm -hmm. And, the overwhelming majority of medical scenarios and injuries that we discuss do not involve firearms or active shooters. Yeah. 100%. Because there's so much throughout your daily life, knowing both from, you know, personal experience, and then also professional experience. There's so much that goes on in daily life and you have zero control of knowing when that is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, um, medical training can be very simple. Like it can be very as simple as like knowing how to uh, wrap a wound or knowing how to apply a tourniquet. Like I've taught 12 year olds how to do that. And I'm sure you have too. And it's like, um, even in addition to that, right, you have the medical training and then you have the other stuff. Um, this past weekend at Red Letter Project, we did, uh, I basically taught my travel safety course. Um, a lot of my background, I didn't mention this earlier, but like a lot of my background comes from living overseas and solo traveling all over the place, like in foreign countries and different states and like all these different places. Like I did a lot of like, foreign overseas solo travel um and with that came a lot of little techniques and tips and like things i started looking for being a five foot one female in a foreign country that i didn't know right so it's like um this travel safety class i've taught it to colleges i've taught it to um businesses like you know just various groups and i wanted to bring it to red letter because it's like i wanted them to start thinking about more than just shooting um for instance like we did a whole scenario based exercise where i had like five or six uh, role players staged as Uber drivers and they had to go through a series of questions and checks basically talking to the Uber driver and like give it basically at the end of it like a yes or no of whether or not they would actually get in that Uber car or not because what we, people don't realize is people get sexually assaulted in Ubers all the time. They get kidnapped. 
they get um they get in car crashes and stuff because the driver's acting reckless or whatever mm-hmm. um and that's something we don't always talk about uh the second thing we did this weekend uh, among other things there was a lot going on but like we also bugged out i bugged out my staff cabin with like hidden cameras and stuff and i had the girls go search uh basically with their flashlights go search for those hidden cameras because uh nowadays like surveys are kind of showing that one in ten people find hidden cameras in bathrooms and bedrooms in airbnbs and hotels so it's like how often do you do you think about that when you travel um little things like that and looking for like man-sized spaces where people could be hiding or two-way mirrors things like that Mm -hmm. it's one of those things like it would never it you don't think it would ever happen to you but like um that passiveness is what's going to get somebody hurt so it's like not just the medical training, not just uh, the shooting stuff, but it's also just becoming more like aware, like I said, of what you're doing every time you leave the house, basically. And I'm glad you brought all that up because I've been thinking about a point for a couple of minutes and just thinking about a time to bring it up. You know, I, I tell, you know, women a lot, not just women, uh, you know, men as well, but women specifically that, you know, you do not have to conversate with somebody if you do not feel comfortable you do not have to be nice to somebody you don't have to stand right on top of somebody if you're in a bar you're in a grocery store it doesn't matter where you are you know you do not have to you know feel like you have to be polite and respectful if you feel uneasy you feel unsafe gain a little bit of distance between you and them you don't have to talk with a stranger face to face you can keep three or four feet of distance maybe more between you yeah absolutely like we were talking about that quite a bit this weekend we're like you don't like like stopping nice basically like uh, I know especially like being a female it's like our nature is just to want to be like loving and caring and like we don't want to be awkward we don't be weird we don't like make somebody feel weird or whatever but like I've gotten to the point now in my life where it's just like I don't care like I'm gonna like like make eye contact I'm gonna stand up just like straight and I'm also going to use my voice if I need it like um, I remember this one time uh, my mom she, she she's even shorter than me she's a tiny little chick but she's awesome she's like uh, she scares the crap out of me and <laughs> I know she doesn't look like it, but she's my mother. But anyway, um, but she was walking, uh, her, my dog in like some hiking area near our house or something like that, like in our, in our hometown. And she was telling me that like on this trail, there was this guy following her. Uh, I, he probably wasn't following her. He's probably just on a walk as well, but like he was just close enough to where it made her uncomfortable. Um, and as soon as like, she kind of in her mind created this boundary of like, if he gets like within what, 10, 15 feet of me, I'm going to turn around and say something. And as soon as he crossed that threshold, even though he didn't like look like he was doing anything wrong, it was making her uncomfortable. She turned around and she like yelled at this dude. She was like, get away from me. You're freaking me out. And like the guy turned around and left. And it's like, you will never know if he was actually there for malintent, but like, Mm -hmm. She didn't have to find out because she wasn't afraid to use her voice. And most people are not used to confrontation. They don't like it. So that makes her just by using her voice and saying, like, get away from me and not being nice. That didn't it prevented her from being a soft target. Because Absolutely. it's like, how else is this guy going to know that she's not going to like she's not going to put up with it? You know, yes. Posture, eye contact and use of volume are some of the biggest non-lethal weapons anybody has at their disposal yeah like like that um like uh eye contact is really important like don't be afraid to be weird i will like literally stare somebody down at a gas station because i just don't care it's just like at this point i'm just like i don't care um and then secondly uh like a use of a flashlight right so Mm -hmm. uh technically it's not illegal to like identify something with a flashlight 
um, you have something that has enough lumens on it, you can definitely make a point. Um, you can identify what's going on. Uh, you're also at a at that point you're putting yourself in a position of um, not being as vulnerable because you can see. And then also like that can be used as a less than lethal use of force option. Um, and it can also like just majorly it's just a deterrent, right? So a lot of the chicks that I've come in here, if they're not ready to conceal a gun yet, I'm just like, okay, here's the first step is like go ahead and start concealing this little pocket flashlight. Um, and like have that with you at all times. And like, this is how you use it. And, um, that's really important too. I think it's funny. You, you bring up that flashlight. I, uh, the other night I used my flashlight in, in that exact, exact sense. So I live on a, just a, you know, country road or whatever. And I have to cross the street and walk, I'd say 10, 15 yards up the road to get to my mailbox. Yeah. I came home the other night after dark, went down the hill, crossed the street. Um, and as I was walking towards my mailbox, this old beat up car drove past me, drove probably about 15 yards past me between just past the mailbox and myself. Mm-hmm. And I saw them throw the reverse lights on and it immediately caught my eye. I was like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Like that I'm, happens. I'm, I'm on the bend. So it's not normal for people to come to a stop on the bend and they started coming in reverse. Mm-hmm. So my first instinct was to back up five or six yards into my neighbor's driveway. I pulled out my flashlight and I held it in front of my body with my light illuminated. Mm-hmm. I was able to kind of tuck my sweatshirt behind my concealed carry just in case whatever was going to happen. But they would not be able to see me just from me silhouette, silhouetting my entire presence with that white light. And then yeah. they're like, oh, you need a ride? I was like, oh, oh no. Thank you for being kind. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, but no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, you know, they make so many good lights nowadays. Like they got like so many brands where, you know, it's like a good, reliable light. It's going to be super bright. And you know, you at that point, you can trust your gear. So it's like, that's like something that, I mean, flashlights are not, they're not cheap, but like, it's worth it, right? And like I said, even somebody that has a gun on them, you need a flashlight regardless. So that's the first thing you can kind of invest in money-wise, I guess. Like, I would choose having a flashlight over pepper spray or one of those, um, what are those things, like the tactical pins. I would choose a flashlight over like, um... I don't know, just my, like, my point is, is, like, also, too, I've traveled all over the world with a flashlight, and no, and TSA has never taken it from me. Mm-hmm. What I couldn't have when I was living overseas, uh, I, I got my master's degree in England, and I lived there for about a year. Um, what I couldn't have when I was over there was my gun, a knife, any sort of weapon, um, no pepper spray, nothing along those lines. The only thing that was, like, you know, not consider a weapon at that point was a flashlight. Um, and then also obviously my martial arts background. So it's like those two things come, come in play when you can't have that weapon on you. So it's really important to know how to use it too. And there's so much, this is kind of diverting from the topic, but I, there's so many, it makes me mad how many cheesy products there are that, yes, yes. you know, target new individuals or specifically women. Like I hate seeing small pink pepper spray crap on. Yeah. Or the shelves. little cattier things like, oh my gosh, I'm glad you brought this up. Like, not to get on a rant, but like I've seen like so many of those like kind of objects that they make. And I'm like, you're going to get more people hurt with that than you are like protecting them. And it gives them that false sense of security. They're like, okay, I'm walking to my car and I got my little, the little plastic, you know, I'm talking about the little plastic mm-hmm. cat ear things. Like I got those in my hand or I got my keys between my knuckles or whatever it is. And it's like, if you've ever actually tried to use that, like in a training setting, you're going to tear your own, you're going to tear your hands up first of all. Second of all, it's just not effective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, how many people that own those things actually train with them in trial and error and, like, run that gear? 
Um, and it's like that false sense of security is purely a marketing scam and it drives me nuts. And I, and I think, you know, with that, that, that fake sense of self-confidence with like the pepper spray or the cat ears or the key between the knuckle that, that comes from, I hate to say it like this, but like a place of ignorance because they've never, they don't understand, they don't understand why that doesn't work or why that's not beneficial. I I have given my younger sisters that have turned 18 in the past pepper spray. And that's literally because I know there's no way in hell I'm going to get them to do anything to be more productive. It's just something I've had to accept in my life. Right. I was like, if I can do this as the absolute bare minimum, fine. But if you are pushing this as the answer, you're coming from the wrong yes, place. Exactly. So it's like like that is that balance, right? If that's the only thing you can get them with is like pepper spray or something, that's totally fine. But the problem is is like um the vice versa mindset of I've had girls come in the range before and be like, okay, I used pepper spray for a long time as a, as an excuse to not, not go get firearms training because I was I didn't I don't like guns or I I was afraid of guns or something like that. It's like it cannot serve as a replacement. Um, but in certain cases like that, if that's the only thing you can get somebody on, yeah, of course that's better than nothing. But, um, a lot of times that marketing gets people to where they're like, oh, if I have pepper spray, I don't need a gun. I'm fine. Um, and that's where the danger happens. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where do you think this sense of fear or misunderstanding comes with females and guns? Because most men, even if they don't understand guns or they know how to handle a gun, most of them aren't going to be necessarily scared or uncomfortable, but it tends to be that that women are scared or want nothing to do with them or have this fear of firearms. Where do you think that comes from, and you know how why, how do we overcome that? Um, I think a couple of things. I think first of all, it comes from mystery. Like they don't really understand it. First of all, like they don't understand why that why the gun is making that sound. They don't understand why that recoil is happening. Um, at some point, they might have had experience when they were a little bit younger of almost being treated as an object where, you know, uh, like I've been at, honestly, I've been at industry events where before anybody even knew who I was, um, like some random dude came up to me and like almost just wanted to see if I could handle the recoil of whatever the heck he had in his hand, right? They're like, oh, try this, try this. And it's like, that's stressful for anybody. If you had a bad experience when you were younger, because uh, somebody was forcing you to do something you weren't comfortable with um, or you weren't quite sure you didn't understand something, like you didn't understand what the tool was going to do, that could create a little bit of fear. And I think a lot of it has to do with upbringing, right? So like for instance, um, let's just say like personally, like I know I'm kind of on that tomboyish scale, obviously, like uh, I like over, <laughs> like if you can't tell, like <laughs> I like overlanding, I like my shooting stuff. I do have a, a huge feminine side, but you can't really see that because of the business I run, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody is like that. A lot of times the upbringing looks very different, right? So, for instance, like my brother when I was growing up, my dad taught him most of the like um, kind of like outdoorsy stuff. He he was taught like um, more of the, I guess, like how to, fix your, how to fix your truck kind of thing. Like, you know, those like more mm-hmm. like male-dominated areas. Whereas like me and my mom... We were focused on other things like uh, and when I got to a certain age, I realized like when I wanted to start overlanding because it was going to help me with my job to get to some of these ranges. I was like, wow, I don't know how to fix my truck. Right. Like, I don't know how to do any of these things. And so, like, I kind of like relied on learning later on in life to learn how to like have those skills, I guess, for my own. I think that happens with the gun stuff, too. Right. So, like, a lot of times 
like maybe the brother in the family gets taught how to use the firearm when they're younger um and a lot and instead of teaching the daughter instead she's just handed a firearm and told to shoot whereas mm-hmm. the son may have been to- taught to load and unload and get a pop- proper grip a proper stance all these th- all these fundamentals whereas the girl was just given a preloaded gun and told to point at the target kind of thing does that make sense for sure and, and you know we're preaching to the choir here but i think that you know really emphasizes the importance of having both a man a father figure and a woman a mother in the household and specifically for the female counterparts being able to balance that side of masculinity quote quote unquote in a sense not a very good proper term but mm-hmm. getting that self-confidence and self-protection everything the things that we normally see is a male-dominated field but also being able to embrace their feminine side and whatnot and, and embrace what makes them special yeah absolutely it's very important like there is a balance and it's like um like with relationships and stuff like that like you have to be able to like show that feminine side but at the same time like um you know there like there's a balance of having a certain level of skill and being confident with that skill um, and sometimes that even allows you to bring out that feminine, feminine side, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a really stupid example, but like, uh, at my range, at my local range, when I teach intro level classes, most of the time I'm wearing my old rodeo jeans that have little, um, <laughs> little sparkles on the side. And mom's usually wearing her, her tennis shoes that have little, little sparkles on the side. And it's like just one of those small ways that we remind ourselves that we are, uh, we're powerful females. Like, I'm so I'm a female. I'm just in a male dominated space, and like mm-hmm. that is totally fine. And it's it, it's like embracing both of those things is important. Um, but that, like I said, that's just a really small, like kind of dumb example. But it's just like one of the small things that reminds me who I am, I guess. And and I, I would I'd like to point out to you know the women listeners of this is that you know we're not trying to tell you that you need to be the tactical go getter or warmonger. Yeah. Um, you know, there that that's not going to be for everyone. You know, Maddie is an MMA firearms instructor, just absolute badass. And <laughs> there are there are extremes of of everything and every side, and that that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that that's what you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, find what you're comfortable doing, and 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 find what makes you happy. Yeah, find your balance, right? Like at Red Letter, it's so funny. We have a we have such a diverse group most of the time. Like we'll have. For instance, one of my best buds, Lindsay. You know Lindsay. Remember she was up at uh, the yeah. Ohio class? Oh, yeah. Um, when you guys rolled up to my portion of teaching, you saw that there was a very different – big difference between me and Lindsay, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lindsay's, like, wearing pink, and she has, like, super pretty long blonde hair, and, like, uh, I'm, like, over there in, like, a black T-shirt, and I got all my gear on, and it's, like – Did Lindsay that- ever tell Did Lindsay ever tell you about the questions I came up and asked her? No, she didn't. I don't, I don't I, think she did. You were off – you you came up and, and told you know, you came up and, and told me something while we were doing some of those warm up drills and then you went off to instruct somebody else and I had questions about what we were doing or something so I went over to Lindsay and was like I went on like a nine sentence rant about something you had said and then what I thought and I was like so what do you think and she just looked at me like she had no idea what the hell I just said <laughs> it was in that moment I realized that she was she was not an instructor <laughs> <laughs> she was there for um for support <laughs> she did a great job <laughs> that's funny yeah Lindsay's um Lindsay's awesome she probably listens she listens to your podcast all the time so what's up Lindsay but (laughs) what's up Lindsay but yeah there's a very there's a very distinct like you know you can do all these things but you don't have to be like the super tomboy chick like like the girls at red letter um 
they it's like there's just such a diverse like everybody can do the same stuff you just don't have to do it in the same way if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. you don't have to have the same type of personality like you don't have to be uh, like these type a type b like who cares about that kind of stuff just Mm -hmm. get the skills that you need to be safe and like take it into your own hands um and then add your flair to it like add your own style add your own personality that's what makes you special it's not so much like what you can and can't do it like that's that's more of a personal thing um so you don't have to change like your whole like way of i don't know like way of viewing yourself or whatever to be a protector that's not how it works i don't think um like we got some pretty pretty badass moms that come to the come to red letter and they don't even view themselves as that like they are because of just how they how they structure their life and they're like these moms that like are taking initiative to go learn how to shoot and go learn how to like protect their kids and all these things like to them they're just like trying to learn and i'm sitting there thinking like that's such a cool mom like that's so cool but they don't even realize it like that was just kind of funny so one other one uh, thing i wanted to talk to you about and, and this is something i find more heavy on the female side than the male side is the sense is how do i word this I want to use the word complacency in a sense, but it's not quite the right word. I'll, I'll give you a, a scenario. So uh, recently, um, when it's been colder out, my house has a wood-burning stove. And for some reason, if the wood-burning stove dies down in the middle of the night and it gets colder in the back corners of our house, there's one window alarm that will go off sometime between like 2 or 3 in the morning. It's usually when the house gets down to around 61, 62 degrees. Wood-burning stove's dead. Yeah. So the house alarm will go off. So the first night that it happened, I was home. Uh, I immediately jumped out of bed, gun, clear first floor, go to alarm panel, see that it's uh, a window break alarm. I go to that window. It's not broken. All right, cool, false alarm. Turn it off, go back to bed. The very next night, I'm at the firehouse, and the same thing happens again, only my fiance is home. And, you know, after that, I came home the next day. I was like, you know, what did you do? Because I knew in my head what she had did, but I wanted to talk her through it. Yeah. She's like, oh, I walked up, I went over to the alarm, blah, 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 shut it off, went back to bed. So in, in short, long story made short, she immediately just stood up out of bed, walked into the open outside of the safety of the bedroom where her gun is and the dog is, and just went straight to the alarm panel. You know, no situational awareness in a sense, just complacency. Mm-hmm. How how do we change that mindset? Because I have noticed it's it's harder to change that mindset with women than it is with men. Um, I think like there, I, I, there's a couple ways to do it in my mind. Um, just right off the rip, but biggest thing for me is like had doing walkthroughs, like doing visual visualization, like walkthroughs, like mm-hmm. being like kind of sitting down and being like, Hey, if this, for example, we're going to, was to happen, this is what I would want you to do. And like actually walk them through it. Because a lot of times, like, I think a lot of times ignorance comes from and complacency comes from literally not knowing what to do right not having the training to do it if they've never been trained to uh get up and like grab their firearm and grab their flashlight and like look for something they're not going to do it so it's like um having them physically obtain some form of muscle memory of doing that is important it doesn't have to be all the time but like maybe once a month have um have your fiance do a couple scenario based like exercises and it has, it can be super chill, more of like just a conversation between you two with you walking through the house and like showing her places that she should look and like, mm-hmm. um, or even like teaching her to like 
grab the phone, grab the firearm, grab the flashlight, go bunker herself in a place that she feels safe. And like, you know, there's different ways of doing it, of course, but like having some sort of plan is the most important thing. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah I, I do feel like, and, and we, and we do that sometimes. I probably do need to do like a little, I've talked to her in the past, like this is what you should do, but I've never done a walkthrough. So yeah. That's a really good point. I should probably do like, I literally want you to touch things and walk places. Yes. Like actively have them do it. Um, mm-hmm. because you think about it, like, there's been so many cases of not even just shootings. Like, uh, let's take, for instance, there was a stage fire. It, you might have heard the story. I might be rambling on a little bit. But, like, um, this is one of the things I talk about in my travel safety class. Like, mm-hmm. I think in about 2003 or something like that, there was a stage fire that broke out at a concert. Um, and a co- I think it was, like, 100 or so people died. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, there were... Uh, and there's different stories out there and like, I don't know exactly if like which facts are exactly correct or whatever, but the main premise of it is, is like there are multiple exits in the building. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody in the concert had come in through one door. They went in through that one door, went straight to the dance floor, whatever it is. And then when the concert stage caught fire, every single one of those people, the only exit that they were aware of, even though there was other exits in the building ran straight to the one that they had initially come in through. Right. And the reason being is because that's the only muscle memory that they had. Um, the diagrams and like the floor plans and stuff, they have all this stuff online that kind of demonstrates like what actually happened that night. But mm-hmm. they basically show there's all these other exits right next to them, like like right in front of them, basically right in front of the concert stage floor. And no, like there's very few people that actually went to those exits because when they panicked, they reverted to their lowest level of training. Like the lowest level of training had basically been them walking through that door. So I tell my college girls, like, I'm like, hey, when you go into a restaurant or when you go into, like, your school or whatever it is, like, take the extra couple seconds, like, put your stuff down and go just real quick, like, walk to that exit Mm -hmm. or, like, walk past it or, like, at least visualize it. Do something to where, like, your brain's like, hey, if something happens, I can go there instead of there. Um, Because what happened at that stage fire is every single one of those people – fled through the same exit, got caught up in a choke point, and they died of smoke inhalation or being crushed or whatever it was. And it's really sad. Um, but a lot of the people in the post-interview were talking about how from that point on, if they were a survivor, they were constantly looking for their exits. And as, as common sense that sounds, because I know people talk about that kind of stuff all the time, how often do you actually see people set their stuff down and then go walk to the exit and come back and continue on th- about their day, right? It's interesting you, you bring that up. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was the, the station nightclub fire in Rhode Island. They we, they talk about that in the fire academy. Yes. There was a lot of fire codes and regulations that came of that. And I think, I think what they found was that the station nightclub, all, all of the exits that were interior, they weren't labeled with red glow-up exit signs. Right. And right. that was like one of the big things that, 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 that came at that was, was new – um, like inspection uh, regulations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about too, like those regulations, right? Like in a house, um, well, a house is a little bit different. Let's just say, for instance, a house that you're not familiar with, like an Airbnb, right? Yeah. Um, there's not going to be glowing red exit signs in those mm-hmm. doorways, right? So like uh, maybe having a little bit of plan when you get to your hotel room or your Airbnb or something like that, like walking those exits or just take, for instance, like you said, like in your house, like maybe not so much exits, but more talking about like, um, plans in case somebody were to break into your house, right? That visualization and actually walking those pathways is still equally as important. Um, cause you're right. Like those, that, those regulations weren't there, but it definitely showed us exactly what would happen if people panic in mass amounts like that. 
Um, Also, this is not, I'm sure you know this as well because you're a firefighter, but like just a little tip that is in my brain because I always talk about this in the class anyway is um, to my understanding, it's uh, there's some sort of like regulation now where every commercial kitchen has to have an exit. Is that correct? Like you've heard that same thing? Yes, almost. And it will vary state to state. Mm -hmm. um, But all all rooms basically need an exit. And if that room does not have an exit to the exterior, the room that that room leads to has to have an exterior exit. So like kitchens always have that back door and they have to be labeled red glow exit signs. Yep, exactly. So if all else fails, right, you don't have a plan and something happens, um, at least if you know where the kitchen is, go there (laughs) or like uh, go somewhere that like you know that everybody else is not going to be going because um, crushing is a problem. Uh, Like things happen where when large crowds get spooked, what happens? Um, and you know, you could go on and on, like I could talk on and on about this topic, but like you kind of get the point of just like visualization, I think is really important and actually doing like mental walkthroughs. Another big benefit to doing your walkthrough. And we talk about this even during the medical class that we teach is that you're, you also want to try and find and identify safe areas and whatnot. That could be for two reasons, either a, there's an active shooter and you are hiding or you've moved casualties to a place to hide until you can get out. Mm -hmm. where there's a fire and you're unable to escape and you want to barricade yourself into some sort of uh, smaller room or, or, you know, whatever that may be to put some distance and some object between you and a fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two big aspects that come from you just doing that simple walk around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's like not to like, obviously actually I'm probably shouldn't even bring up this topic, but like I I bring this up because uh, in the class that you had taken for me, right. We had run a couple Mm -hmm. stage plans, right. Um, when we did that walkthrough, how much more comfortable did you feel when you shot that, uh, shot that stage? Because you already kind of knew where you at least wanted to go. You might, oh, not, have done, you might not have executed it perfectly. Absolutely if you not. hadn't done that walkthrough, you would have been a little bit more hesitant of been like, where do I go next? What target do I shoot next? Like what's going to happen next? Um, that walkthrough helps a whole lot. Um, so that walkthrough applies to other aspects of like kind of life. So I think that's like one of the... One of the little comparisons that sometimes I'll make and it kind of resonates with people. So one other big, probably stereotypical topic that I do want to hit is holster recommendations for females. Every every female influencer, page instructor has recommendations and whatnot. What are some big holster recommendations you have in different styles of carry specific for women? Because women, especially in this field, are much different than men. Gosh, and- to, 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 to an arguable extent. Right. So <laughs> this, uh, uh, this is another, just is my simple opinion, right? It has nothing to do with like brands or anything, but like, um, it kind of goes back to, you know, we talked about the cat ears, right? Mm-hmm. The gimmicky stuff that they, they use to market to people. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing I see, I see all this kind of craziness going around Instagram. Oh, you need this, you need this, you need 15 different types of holsters because you're a chick and you're wearing different clothes. It's like, honestly, um, I wear a inside the waistband, like I have a, like a very, like a solid holster that I know retains my gun. Um, I know it's easy to access and I know it has like, it has like a built-in kind of wedge so that it pushes it into my stomach a little bit more. That way I'm not, um, my, the handle of my gun isn't poking out. Um, I can still carry a Glock 19 every day. Uh, not everybody has to carry a full size gun, but what I'm saying is, uh, you don't have to have all the fancy, you don't have to have 15 fancy holsters for each different type of outfit. Um, I would say for people that are looking to at least start concealed carrying, 
Um, get yourself a really good inside the waistband Kydex holster, like a plastic holster. Get used to wearing that with like jeans or something like that. If you wear a lot of leggings, um, like a lot of leggings or shorts or um, like clothing that you don't necessarily have a belt with. Uh, I've found a lot of success with the Filster holsters um, because they have like basically a built-in belt with them and you can pretty much conceal them under anything. Is that the um, Enigma? Yeah, the Enigma holster. I'm not even gotcha. affiliated with that brand. I just own one because I thought it like a couple, like when they first came out with it, I was like, hey, that looks like a good idea or whatever. Um, but like that's a good way to conceal. Um, other than that, I usually carry medical supplies in my, you know, those little bandolier like fanny pack bags. Mm-hmm. I usually carry my medical supplies there. That way it's not too bulky and I put a flashlight in my back pocket or I put my a flashlight just somewhere on my person. Um, but I honestly, I, I, I don't really buy into... They can still carry leggings and things like that because first of all, it gets expensive if you if you have to pay sixty dollars for leggings and you have to wear if you want to conceal every single day, right? That's seven pairs of leggings times sixty. <laughs> um, it's expensive, and a lot of times they don't have that same like level of retention and protection that the Kydex holster is going to offer. So if you can just keep it simple and get really comfortable drawing from the same holster and just like, learn to manipulate that with different outfits, that that's how I do it. And and one thing. I run into a lot when trying to discuss different carry methods and holsters and whatnot with, you know, again, women in my life is that you, they have to realize that there is some sacrifice to wanting to carry. Maybe yeah. not as much now as the market progresses, but as a general rule of thumb, and this is even true for guys, that your actions of what you do on a daily basis and what you wear on a daily basis um, is dictated by you carrying a firearm you you know what you wear you you're not going to sacrifice carrying your firearm because you want to wear blah 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 yeah you don't you don't want to give up that's that sense of self-protection and that you know reliability um, just because you want to wear something there are there are priorities and sometimes you know having priorities sucks it does yeah yeah um, but that's but that's a part of life and it's you know if you're going to be in this you have to understand and accept that to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, uh, it's like not, it's not always going to be comfortable. Like every day, like I'm going to be real with you, especially like uh, carrying a full size gun, like concealed carry is not comfortable. It sucks. Like it takes a while mm-hmm. to get used to. Like uh, a lot of times I'll tell people when they first come in and they're like initially getting used to concealed carry, I'm like, stick with it for like six months. Don't give yourself any cheat days. Like concealed carry with every single thing you're wearing. Like don't let yourself stray from it. Um, and then oh, after about six months, you'll get so used to it where it becomes a daily habit and that uncomfortable feeling kind of goes away because you're, you've gotten used to it, right? You've gotten over that, that kind of like, um, speed bump where it's a, it's a learning curve. So, uh, my advice for like kind of new concealed carriers would be, uh, sacrifice, uh, for a couple months, uh, figure out what works and doesn't work. Uh, you might have to change your wardrobe just a little bit. I mean, there's a time and place, like if you're going out with your husband and, you want to wear a dress? Okay, adjust for that, right? Like, that's where that feminine side might come out. I'm like, okay, tonight my, my husband might be carrying the gun. I might be carrying the flashlight and the medical supplies or whatever it is because I, I want to wear a dress. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, if you're going out by yourself or you're going on a date with somebody you don't know, maybe that dress can wait. Maybe, like, you should wear some something with a belt that night. Um, and just getting used to having the feeling of that gun being on you at all times is like, it's something that you have to, uh, you know, um, it takes a while to get used to and you just have to allow yourself to go through that learning process. Uh, I also want to touch kind of, as we're talking about, um, 
you know, this aspect of, of having that firing with you at all times. I kind of want to talk on the grappling aspect a little bit, obviously, because you're very, very experienced with that side of things. Um, I, and it kind of goes back to the cat ears and the pepper spray and all that kind of stuff. I, I find that a lot of instructors and teaching methods and whatnot are very cheesy and, and toxic that target women specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you and I have both done jujitsu, so we understand that there's a lot of reality to that kind of stuff. And, and what some people push is not so good and can really get you hurt. So, you know, how, how does somebody find a trustworthy, um, credible instructor or academy, whatever that might be? Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Like, there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there. And unfortunately, like, um, so martial arts is a long-term game, right? Uh, one of the things that I always kind of say to people when they ask me about like the martial arts stuff is doing, I think what maybe like, again, I'm not good with like remembering years and stuff, but I think I've been, uh, I think I fought for around like six or seven years, something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, all those years of training did not teach me that I had the ability to go out and like kick anybody's butt or like defend myself against any size person. That's not what it taught me at all. Um, in fact, if anything, it taught me my capability level and it humbled me, right? And made me aware that I wasn't going to be able to, um, defi- I, I probably wasn't going to be able to just take a person that's three times my size head on. Like, that's what it made me aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit of self-realization, but the most important thing it taught me is to manage my stress under pressure, right? So like when somebody is actively trying to hurt me or somebody is actively trying to uh, grab me or... Um, grab my neck or they're on top of me or whatever instead of blanking out and panicking I I know a little bit or a tremendous amount more about how I would react to that like and how to like calm myself down and think through things under pressure right so like in the cage obviously you play by different rules you basically like it's sport rules you're it's a it's a contact sport Mm -hmm. um but you still have somebody in across that cage looking at you ready to basically beat your face in and uh especially if there's if it's a big match or whatever um they really want to hurt you uh so experiencing somebody really wanting to hurt you in a more controlled setting where you know you're not going to be like there's no weapons involved or anything like that like that's a good time to experience that feeling of being hit in the face or being sat on or being grabbed or whatever you don't want to experience that for the first time if it happens in real life like if that makes sense like um it taught me basically how to control my my adrenaline levels um i think that's really really important for women because a lot of times like you look at like sexual assault cases uh i guarantee you i have no idea the statistics on this i don't even know if you can measure this but like i guarantee you that a majority of like women that are sexually assaulted have never been grabbed like that before or they've never been like pushed or they've never been like hit in the face before so the first thing that happens is they don't know what the heck to do because their brain's still processing what's going on and how to react to it. So that level of training, like martial arts, is like that's what's that's where the value is, I think. Um, but to your point, to actually answer your question, sorry, I got a little off track. No, that's fine. <laughs> I, I could, I'm like my brain will go like spiraling down the rabbit hole. Um, but to answer your question, like to find a good reliable gym, it's gonna first start off with um, the mindset of knowing that it's got to be long term. So, like, you can go to any gym on this planet, 
and spend three weeks there and you ain't gonna get anything out of it you can pay an instructor five thousand dollars to teach you all the cool self-defense moves he knows but if you only do that once or twice in your life you are not going to retain that information so it's like um finding a good reputable gym first of all starts with when you walk in the gym how do you feel what's the what's the vibe like what's the atmosphere like do you actually get along with these people do you like being at the gym do you enjoy being there like all those things are should be taken into account Compare it to something like um, women go get their, their hair, hair done, right? Mm-hmm. When you walk into a salon, at least with me, I know whether or not I like it from the, the point I step in the door and how they treat me. So a lot of it is atmosphere. And then, of course, the reputation of, like, what's that instructor's background? Have they taught women before? That's another thing is, like, uh, martial arts for a very long time did not was not very inclusive of women. So a lot of instructors are very used to teaching men, and unfortunately, women learn a little bit differently because we have a lot more emotions. So you have to find an instructor that's that has either daughters or like has taught a lot of women before. It doesn't have to be a women's only class. Maybe it is a female instructor. Just somebody that's good with the fem like the female like kind of um, demographic. And I think, uh, and there's a point I want to make after this, but I think that. You have to be aware of what you're looking for. If yeah. you're looking to get into some sort of martial arts from just the health and fitness side, you know, a little bit of self-protection, you don't want to go to a competitive team well, MMA club. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's not what you're looking for. Yeah. So you have to be aware of what you're looking for and find something that, you know, meets that standards. And if you are somebody that's brand new, be careful taking on too much too fast. Yes, yeah. Um, because I know a lot of people who have jumped into too much too fast and they've gotten themselves hurt or they, the big thing I I find with people is that they get burnout Yes, and then they never come back and that's not what you want to happen. Yeah. It's exhausting. Like you gotta take it a bit, bit by bit at a time. Um, and also, uh, on that point with the people or with uh, the beginners, right. Knowing what you're looking for. You can waste a whole lot of time at jujitsu gyms. I love jujitsu, but you can waste a whole lot of time there if you're not with the right instruct- instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, personally, I like a little bit of structure in it, right? So, like, I think it's important, like, when you walk into a jujitsu gym, I think it's important that they have some type of fundamentals class, right? Because um, I wasted a whole lot of time when I first started out in a class that I had no business being in because I didn't know what to look for. Um, and I ended up learning all these complex moves without even having the fundamentals under my belt. So later on down my little uh, MMA career or whatever, I spent a lot of time fixing bad habits and having to go back to the basics and restart. Like I, pro- I, re- I had to restart a couple of times because I didn't have that good foundation. So it's like when you walk into a martial arts gym, uh, first thing I would look for as a beginner is uh, do they have a fundamentals class and are they going to take the time to teach me the very basics before they do anything else? Because um, a lot of times I think gyms miss that. One other thing to look for with that, specifically in jujitsu gyms, um, if they don't have like an a beginner's class and an advanced class, one thing that I really liked about one of my previous gyms, which was a Carlson Gracie gym, mm-hmm. is that specifically for the evening classes where like the bulk of the gym students come to, yeah, you always you you always match up with somebody you know similar you know, belt is you and, you know, let's say we're working half guard stuff. Mm-hmm. The instructor will give, you know, white belt, blue belts. Hey, this is the move you guys are doing. And then yeah, white belt, blue belts. Oh, fucking run away. 
Yeah. And then the advanced guys are like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And everybody wants to do that, but you have to, you have to stay on track. So that's also yeah. something that, um, that you, that you can look for as well. Yeah. And like, uh, one thing too, um, is gym culture, right? So mm-hmm. keeping yourself like being aware, uh, aware of things, right? Like when you go into the gym, making sure that you're, you're rolling with people that are aware that you're brand new and that they're willing to put their, the ego, like most of the time, the good thing about jujitsu gyms is most of the time the ego is subsided the farther you progress down the belt line, right? So like if you're rolling with a brown, black belt or purple belt, whatever, they're not, they, they know that you don't know anything. So they're going to go very gentle and they're going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, MMA culture is a little bit different. They don't <laughs> like, it's a little bit, <laughs> no mercy there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that like, that's not something to jump into, but at a, a jujitsu gym, they're very good about like pairing people up according to their skill level. Um, meaning like they'll pair up like an advanced guy sometimes with a beginner because they know that the advanced guy can kind of teach the beginner in at his own speed or vice versa. They keep the beginners together so that they all learn at the same time. Like I, I've been at gyms where they kind of do a combination of both. And I think that's really cool. And, you know, I, I kind of want to hit on the point of why for all of this. And most, most likely, you know, in my eyes and my thought process, when it comes to self-defense situations, whether you're a Muay Thai fighter, whether you're an MMA fighter or you're a strict jiu-jitsu guy, it doesn't matter. Nine times out of 10 in a self-defense situation, you're going to end up in a position that is unfavorable for anybody and it's not going to go how it goes in your gym and one big thing that i hate about the jiu-jitsu community is that people are way too comfortable fighting from your back mm-hmm. it, it is not 50 50 if you're on your back i don't care what belt level you are if you are in a self-defense real life situation if somebody is on top of you and your back is on concrete that's not that's not equal. That's not a fair fight. Doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are, and that's and that's you know why I did not ever like fighting from my back, pulling guard, anything like that. You either need to have the ability to exit a situation if you need to, or finish a situation, and you're probably not going to do so from your back, because somebody's buddy's going to come up and kick you in the back of the head, or they're going to pull a knife, and now they're you know. You're fighting somebody that's stabbing down at you. Your back is not a place to fight from. It's okay to be comfortable from your back and have the knowledge to fight from your back, but your goal shouldn't be, ah, I'll get to my back and then I've got them. That, that's yeah. that's the wrong mindset to have. Yeah, I agree. And also too, like on that point, um, kind of like what I said earlier is being aware that like, uh, like obviously everybody knows this, but it's kind of good to talk about anyway, like that sport jujitsu and sport fighting is very different from real life, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, all the rules that apply to sport fighting, uh, like combat sports, um, basically, it's like the opposite of what you would do in real life, right? So, like, in the cage, you can throw an elbow, but you can't claw. In real life, I'd probably throw an elbow and claw. <laughs> like, it's like there's, like, things that you would definitely do on the self-defense side that you don't necessarily – always get the opportunity to train in the sports gym just because of like rules and safety and like, you know, things like that. So it's good things to keep in mind. Um, and sometimes a good, or a lot of times a good jujitsu gym will have like other little break off sessions where like maybe once a month they allow everybody to kind of come in they'll talk about like self-defense and they don't necessarily roll, but they kind of show you other techniques that can be used outside of tournaments and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, uh, like kind of like you said, 
more just you can use martial arts for however whatever context you would like it to be for someone like you who's like purely doing it for self-defense right you can train and your entire goal can be to not get to your back for somebody like me who kind of does it for both like i can pick and choose what what kind of aspect i want to train but if i'm training for a tournament i might not necessarily care about that i care more about points so it's just like being able to register in your head that like this is why i'm doing it and this is the context i'm training for is very important. It's the same thing goes for shooting, right? If you're training for competitive shooting, it's a little bit different from self-defense, but you can still learn from both. You can kind of cross, cross pollinate on those, on some skills, right? And if you're a person that does, you know, do jujitsu or something like that for self-defense, even though it's, you know, it's not the same as a real life fight, I I implore you to go to a local tournament and, you know, you know, getting two or three matches and whatnot. And because the one thing that will happen at your gym is that you're going to start to understand how other people fight and how they roll. Yeah. But when you go to a tournament and now you're going against somebody from another gym that you've never met before, yeah, it's completely different. And it kind of throws you off a little bit your very first match. You know, oh. later in the tournament, you kind of warm up a little bit. But that first match, you're like, wait a minute. You're like, what's well, going on here? Yeah, what just happened? <laughs> yes, 100%. I agree. Like, it's like... Um, and again, it goes down to stress level, right? Cause like your first tournament, actually, I mean, for me, it was like any tournament, any match, whatever it was, it's like there, there was definitely adrenaline there. And it's like, most people do not, um, uh, I'd say a, probably a strong majority of the population does not really know what true adrenaline feels like. Um, so if you can get contact with that, uh, at least a couple times in your life, like that's really important. Like, um, a little, like I kind of mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, like, I have a little bit of a background in more of like the adrenaline sports, like skydiving, bull riding, like things like that, where it's like I was in constant contact with like the highest level of adrenaline that I could like basically experience. Um, And it got me very used to it. Like it got me like very aware of like how I act and how to control it. Um, If it's if you don't have that opportunity uh, many times, the first time it happens, it's going to be very hard to control it. So jujitsu, like tournament level, like tournament style stuff, even competitive matches and shooting, it introduces you to that new level of stress that you might not be used to, which is, I think, really valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one other big aspect I want to hit on with, you know, martial arts is that, and, and I used to preach this to my guys a lot, even in the Marine Corps and the diplomatic side, is that your grappling abilities and your ability to regulate space and distance and all of that kind of stuff ties directly to your ability to either a escape a situation or employ some sort of self-defense weapon like a firearm mm-hmm. like specifically with your grappling if you're unable to escape being able to better dictate a situation not to get a submission while you're you know street fighting somebody for your life yeah. but being able to dictate and control that situation to safely and effectively employ that firearm. I'm doing that thing like with my hand right now where like I'm, I'm holding a pistol. You're so air it. I'm air cutting it. <laughs> nice. uh, be, being able to manage those types of situations to later employ better weapons. Or even if you're, you know, a female that doesn't carry. And like go back to the flashlight thing you were talking about earlier. You got to get to that flashlight. Yeah. And if you're unable to manage space, manage aggression, anything like that. You drop in your hands and just trying to find your flashlight because you've never tried to find your flashlight before and so on and so forth, and you get hit in the face four or five times, your OODA loop is going to be thrown way, yeah. way, 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 way off. Yeah, or you're going to Especially if that's the first time you've yeah. been hit, hit. 
Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure you know more than anybody else, like, it's like, the first time you get hit in the face, um, your brain's like, what just happened? Like, I don't even know what to do. Most people just freeze and look at you, so it's like, um, yeah, that's definitely important, and regulating distance is also something that you can proactively do, right, before something even happens, so, like, going back to that kind of understanding of, like, using your voice, making eye contact, stuff like that, like, that's something you need to, people need to be keeping in the back of their minds is, you know, um, throughout the day, you know, I was talking about being aware of what you're consciously doing, maybe becoming a little bit more aware of your spatial surroundings as well. Meaning like when you're in a parking lot, uh, take a look and see who's within 10, 15 feet of you. Like start making notes and start observing them like a little Kim's game, like of like what they're wearing or whatever. Um, like that's, that kind of stuff is like proactive defense that will prevent you from having to defend yourself, risk your life, get in a lawsuit, go to jail, like all these things. It's like some of those things can be prevented, kind of like what my mom did on the trail where she just mm-hmm. used her voice to stop whatever could possibly happen, you know? I don't know about you, but I actually kind of like getting hit in the face. Not as hard as people can, but I like like I like sparring. Yeah, sparring. It, it reminds me that I am not as badass as I <laughs> will continue to believe that I am, even yeah. though even though I'm going to tell myself that I am. It's it's a nice reminder. Yeah, it's, it's definitely humbling, and it's like, um, also, it's a good stress reliever, too. Like, people forget that there's, like, a fun aspect to it. Like, Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a great time, like, tapping around with your friends. I mean, like, as long as nobody, like, tries to kill each other, it's, it's uh, I really enjoy sparring. I miss it. I... Have, I, I'm not an individual that looks cool shadow boxing or anything. <laughs> mainly because I'm just a big meathead so i just look ridiculous you put your hoodie on and like <laughs> go to the corner of the gym yeah <laughs> <laughs> well maddie was there any other you know big topics you wanted to hit on we've talked about a really wide range of stuff what time are we at right now yeah Let's see here we're an hour and a half yeah we're um, an hour and 24 minutes in right now yeah good stuff no i think the only other thing i wanted to mention is um so for the february retreat coming up right we have uh, we'll have be having the two and a half day retreat seminar or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think it's February 24th through the 26th. It's going to be in Blakely, Georgia. Uh, it's going to be an arena training facility, which is a 2300 acre range that has like these super nice cabins that we're all going to be staying in. Mm-hmm. Um, our, the retreat includes the training, which is self-defense training, the medical stuff, a little bit of hand-to-hand combatives, the survival training, as well as the use of force scenario stuff. Um, all that's including as well as lodging and meals. Um, and I actually made you guys, I made the listeners of this podcast, a $50 off coupon. So if you use ECT, um, on my website, if you're buying the February retreat, it will give you $50 off, which is, I think a pretty good, pretty good deal on it. Hell yeah. I will definitely make sure to plug that to all the listeners. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I will say too, is like, uh, I get a lot of questions about like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a brand new, uh, brand new shooter. Can I still come? And I'm like, absolutely. Yes. If you're a brand new or advanced shooter, it doesn't really matter. Um, I actually split the two. I basically split into two groups, um, based on your prior training level. If you want to do like a private lesson online or something to kind of gauge your skill level, your that's also an option. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can split into beginner and advanced. So if you're a brand new shooter, totally fine. If you've been shooting for 30 years, totally fine. Come on in. Um, it's a very open group. Uh, Bible studies and the religious aspect, we do make it optional, but we do also ask that you at least like kind of come in with an open heart because that is the core of our mission is to help spread the gospel while doing all these things. Do you have any other, um, outside your Instagram, do you have any other 
like website pages or other social media pages people can find you at? Um, so I have my Instagram, which is my handle is redletterproject.maddie. And then my website is www.theredletterproject.com. And you can read up on kind of like some other stuff we do on there. You can also go to the media content page and see some recap videos of like previous retreats. Um, so there's a couple videos on there that are like three to five minutes long. You can kind of just see an overview of what they look like. Um, a couple more um like a little bit more information in depth, like what kind of gear you'll need and all that stuff is actually on the website as well. Uh, but besides that, I try to keep my socials pretty small. So it's just those two things. Awesome. Well, Maddie, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you had, you know, a long weekend and whatnot and big travel day today. So thank you for making the time for this. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate the conversation. I love what you're doing as well. Thank you. Hopefully we can uh, get you a couple extra signups yeah. uh, for the February red letter. Heck yeah. I would love to have you guys there. Would you like to give, I, I like to do shout outs at the end. So is there anybody you'd like to give a little shout out to? Um, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Um, so honestly, just the sponsors that have supported Red Letter from uh, kind of from the beginning, uh, we're very blessed. We have a couple major ones on board. We have Safe Life Defense. What they typically do is they'll give out 10 to 15 body armor panels to the ladies that attend the retreats. Um, so it usually it's first come first serve. Whoever signs up first usually gets a panel. Um, then we have Hoist, uh, it's a drink sponsor. They do an awesome job as well. We have Safari Land, um, KGM is a sponsor of mine. Um, they contribute a lot as well. Uh, and we have a CBS training group and then a couple other, uh, a couple other sponsors too. So, um, super thankful for them. They basically make the project as easy it can, as, as it can possibly be. Um, and I'm just like really appreciative that they're still on board. Awesome. Uh, I'd like to, Give a shout out to Max over at Misfit Group. If you guys haven't uh, checked him out, go ahead and do so. He's got a podcast as well. He's kind of hitting up the same way as I am, you know, trying to push more on the civilian training markets and, you know, kind of the modernization of training. So, and he's always been a huge supporter of mine. So thank you, Max. And then, so Max, I don't know if you, you probably don't know his page, but he, they are my favorite couple, him and his girlfriend, Emily. Because they are, they train together all the time. They go to the range. They grapple each other. Even though Max is like six six and Emily is like five three, and like, nice. they are awesome. They 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 inspire me. Um, so shout out to you, Max and Emily. And then shout out to Justin, uh, otherwise known as Archangel Tactical Medicine yes. on Instagram. Uh, he had uh, the Deliver Fun Range Day this year, which is actually where I met Maddie. Um, and he's been a huge supporter of mine. He's also a firefighter. We send each other dumb Snapchats from the firehouse all the time. Justin, you are the man. Justin's the um, man. Yes, he definitely deserves a shout out. That's the only reason I'm on this podcast because we, we met. <laughs> oh, that and Lindsay because we both know Lindsay. So Lindsay gets a second shout out. <laughs> I am very much looking forward to his 2023 events. I don't I don't remember if he said he was going to do Deliver Fund again or do a different organization. It's kind of up in the air, but I look forward to it again nonetheless. Yes, yeah, I'll definitely be there. Um, I don't know exactly when it's happening, but I told him as soon as he knows, just let me know. For sure. All right, Maddie. Again, thank you. Much appreciated. Um, hopefully, get. I look forward to you know chat with you more in the in the future, and hopefully, working together at some point in time. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, guys. That is all I have for episode fourteen, the Red Letter Project. As always, guys, train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Yo! Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward no! Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'm